Hello and welcome to ISME and Conversation, a podcast all about advice for leaders of independent businesses. My name is Ed, and I'll be asking my guests for the best pieces of advice they've ever received, as well as the worst. They'll also be bringing practical, implementable tips and advice for business leaders. On this episode, we have Rona Morell. Rona is a regenerative consultant and much, much more, and we'll be discussing the challenges and opportunities in the sustainability arena for all kinds of enterprises. Uh, welcome, Rona. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Ah, oh, for sure. So um, I'm based up in the Midlands. I'm a, a mum of two. I've worked historically for some big brands um, like Red Bull, Red Bull Racing, Heineken. And about five years ago, I decided to take the leap and, and go out on my own. And so I spend most of my time now in the space of impacts, regenerative economies, all things sustainability. I'm also a Prince's Trust mentor here in the UK and a board of trustees for Education Africa. Yeah, that, that's me in a nutshell, really. What does your role typically look like within a business? I think the key thing for me is that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an activist, but what I'm trying to do, having understood all the different business functions, albeit I've not worked directly in finance or, or HR, I've done a lot of work in supply chain, is that I'm able to come in and understand how business functions work and the complexities, but also the interconnectedness of those areas. And so it's helping those people either start their journey or help them understand how they can get on that journey. So I think I've always said it's kind of forgivable to not be perfect and to not hit your targets, but it's not okay to just sit back and watch and let other major players in your industry kind of take the lead, if you like. But hopefully I leave people with that sense of empowerment to just lift off and continue to improve. Fantastic. Thanks very much. So from a SME business perspective, is sustainability, ESG, something that all growing businesses need to be conscious of? Absolutely. I think if it's not on your agenda and if it's not filtered within your business's KPIs, you will be left behind. And I think the most important thing is, is being aware of the dangers of saying things and not following through, greenwashing your ideas. Consumers are so educated now and there's so much access to information and, and knowledge and people can get called out. But understanding your supply chain is critical and working within that within SMEs, it's around educating in that space around the scopes one to three by its very nature, scopes one and two are relatively easy to be able to do internally because those are the things that you can control, you have access to data. But take uh, IKEA, for example, 97% of their scope three emissions come in that section. So you can see how challenging it can, can be. For example, you've got a thousand product lines. Now you've got to try and find out where they all come from, how sustainable are all of your suppliers right through to that supply chain. So it's really, really important that you start that journey because if you don't, at some point, your stakeholders, your employees, and most importantly, your consumers are going to want to know why you haven't. Can you please, in layman's terms, explain a little bit more about what scopes one to three means? Yeah, absolutely. So if we take scope one, these are all your direct emissions. So they come from sources 
that are owned and controlled by you in terms of your manufacturing. So there'll be things like the, mainly the consumption of energy, fossil fuels, etc., and things like company vehicles. Scope two are your indirect emissions from energy, and they tend to physically occur at the facility. I'm talking more manufacturing here, production. You use that energy. So that purchase, although you're not producing the electricity, you've purchased it. So unfortunately, you're responsible for it. And then scope three is a lot more complex. And this is where for a lot of businesses, it becomes a headache. But your scope three really is around emissions that are not owned by you, is the easiest way to say it. So, for example, you're making a drinks brand, you're buying in the ingredients, you might be buying in the materials for the cans, etc. And it's those suppliers that are using their scopes one and two that you've then also got to factor in to your business. Now, One of the things that's a really good idea here for scope three is don't ever be afraid to get into bed with the enemy. Every business listening to this will be part of an industry. And so actually working together as an industry can not only drive solutions, but it can drive down costs as well. So joint ventures, franchises, subsidies, etc. But it is the hardest to do scope three. Fantastic. Thanks. Now, um, Ismin and Co is a, a platform which offers advice to SMEs. Are there any practical tips for an SME owner that they can put in place from a sustainability perspective as their business starts to grow? Listen, if you're if you're a startup, for example, you are in the perfect position because you can interject sustainability at the very, very beginning of your thought process, which is fantastic. However, if you're a business that's been going 10, even 50 years old, and you've got huge supply chains and infrastructure, it can be very daunting. So My advice to those people is to call out to any experts. If you haven't got somebody internally who has either gone on to a course such as Harvard or Cambridge, etc., and many of these are either free or they are very small cost, that would be my first advice. There are plenty of people like myself who can come in and help you start on that journey. Secondly, signing up to things like the SME Climate Hub with the government. They give you a plethora of amazing tips. They give you free access to a carbon calculator. But like I say, that is really only the beginning. So for those who aren't aware, there are many planetary tipping points. And actually, the top three, first one is biodiversity loss, second one is nitrogen, and third is carbon. So actually, you can see in terms of the importance that If we just focus on carbon, we won't achieve what we need to achieve. I would also recommend the businesses of any level understanding the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Really easy to Google. And each one is there for a purpose. So you've got life above water, life below water, life on land, diversity, equality, sanitation. So what I would recommend businesses to do is... Take a long, hard look at what your mission, vision and values are. What is it you do for your consumers or for the the general population and for businesses? And try and focus on a sustainable goal. Normally, you can achieve one to five, which which is healthy, and really match your business to those goals and decide, right, we can't all solve everything. And it can feel very overwhelming. 
So my start point would be look at who you are and what you do. Look at the sustainable development goals and absolutely measure your scopes one to three. Those will be the basic principles to start with. I'm going to move on to the premise of this particular podcast, which is all about offering advice. And we're going to ask you for the two greatest pieces of advice that you've ever received. And then at the end, we're going to ask you for the worst piece of advice you've ever received. But let's start with the positives. Yep. One, please, of the greatest piece of advice that you've ever had. Okay. So I think both as an entrepreneur, but also working within an organization, I think one of the best things that I've ever heard is is really about knowing and trusting and understanding who your tribe is versus who your transactions are. And I think that applies to you as an individual within an organization or as an entrepreneur, but also the way you look and value your your team and your consumers. Because if you focus just on the transaction, you have a very short life cycle. But when you focus on a tribe, be that a soundboard, a mentor, people who can really drive and understand. And it was something I I very much learned at Red Bull. We were all unique in our own rights, but we all came together and we believed in what our mission was. And to be really clear on what that mission is and not to deviate from it and do it with passion, love, tenacity and fun Once you achieve that and you can drive that within the culture, I think that is something that has always stuck with me. And it came from my old MD at Rebel, who sadly is no longer with us. But know your tribe versus your transactions and be really clear on your mission. So who fits in a tribe? From a business perspective, it's it's your business, obviously, your associates, your colleagues. But is it also your clients? Is it, I mean, who fits under that umbrella of tribe? First and foremost, if you want to build the right culture, it's you and your team and your stakeholders. You know, if you're a startup and you're looking for investors, it's so hard to get someone who's going to write that check. But you have to stop and say, is this partnership right? Is this somebody who believes in my mission is going to really support it versus just taking the first check that that comes within an existing organization? If you have a strong culture throughout and you feel like a tribe, like you want to go to work. I've worked in, in environments that are like that. And I've worked in ones that really aren't. They're very disjointed. There's, you know, lots of internal fighting and priorities and it's so destructive and I think ultimately yes your consumers are your tribe because if you haven't got them you haven't got a business which matches back to understanding you know your mission and your values. Fantastic thank you very much. Next question and we'll have some more advice that you've received including that terrible piece of advice shortly but we all understand I think the moral reasons and justifications for an emphasis on sustainability. We all understand the social reasons, but what's the business case? Why is sustainability, ESG, why is it good for business? I think there are probably four or five main pillars. And I think the first one fundamentally is your customers, uh, consumers. They will determine whether they come back to you. They will determine what they say on social media. The Gen Zens now are so aware of this and so focused on this that it sounds brutal but for those aiming at the older generation inevitably the circle of life will happen 
So I think your customers is front and foremost. Secondly, your investors and stakeholders. So historically, we've all worked at businesses where it's all about ROI. What's the return on investment? We want it this week. We want it next month. We want it in a year. There's been a huge shift in the last certainly five years, but definitely in the last two since the IPCC reports around investors wanting to know what you're doing in this space before they'll even consider looking at you. Your board and your stakeholders are critical as well because you can have the best mentors and you can have the best stakeholders within your business. But if they're not interested in this space, you're going to have a jar. And so sometimes tough decisions have to be made about who is your points of influence within the business. I think thirdly, talent. So the next generation, people coming to work for you, they are more educated in this space. They want to find people and stay with people that really are doing things that will benefit not only them and now, but also their their children and their futures. I certainly think that those companies that are progressive and are facing this head on are going to be able to get the best talent. Fourthly, I would look at policy. So if you're not doing it now and you're not addressing it now, we've got the next um, COP coming up in Egypt next year. That's going to be a heavy reflection on what happened in Glasgow. And there is going to be more policy enforced. We're not there yet, but we've got plastic treaties. We've got carbon tax, plastic tax. There's all sorts of things going on that you... If you're not addressing it now, that policy will be forced on you. And then, of course, you've got it's just the right thing to do. Some people talk about degrowth. Some people talk about capitalism. We have a huge amount of waste. I think sort of 60% of everything produced and manufactured is wasted. Now, that is shocking. When people talk about we can't feed the growing population and If we focused on the inefficiencies and took out that waste, that would be hugely powerful. And guess what? It saves you money. People think sustainability is going to cost the business money. Let me make it really clear. If you address these things and you reduce inefficiencies in your energy and waste, guess what? You're not paying so much energy. You're not buying so many materials. And besides which, you don't want an activist on your back either or (laughs) Facebook and LinkedIn going on and calling you out for greenwashing. And I think the more transparent you can be about where you are on your journey, as I said at the very beginning, don't worry if you've not quite made that target. But those people that are clearly reporting annually, sometimes quarterly, are getting great responses from shareholders, investors, and and customers. Moving back to the central premise of this podcast, advice. What's the second piece of great advice that you've received? The second piece of advice really was about embracing change, learn to adapt, align, and be a lifelong learner. And I think that as human beings, we we often struggle with change. We like to be told what to do, and we're really good at following, right, we've got to do A, B, and C. But I think if you can embrace and encourage culturally that ability to change and risk-take, it's so important. And again, I have to say that risk-taking did come from Red Bull. We were empowered to go out and use our creative minds and make mistakes. 
as long as you don't keep making the mistakes when they don't work out for you. But I think having a culture of empowering the people to make decisions, you've employed them for a reason, you've employed them for their skills. So allow that two-way adaption to happen. Listen to the people on the ground. They are more likely to have the best ideas, the best efficiency savings. Always learning. Nothing is static, is it? And I'm mind blown every day by the changes in blockchain and crypto and the the fourth industrial revolution. I'm sure that's a whole <laughs> whole another podcast for for someone else who's an expert. But through being an innovator and an entrepreneur, it becomes part of your nature to forward think and co-create ideas. And I think if you can inject that and consistently learn not just from papers and courses but from the people within your business you'll have such a strong, strong culture. Thank you very much. I feel like you cheated a little bit there, Rona, and gave at least three excellent pieces of advice. But, <laughs> but I think Sorry. that's okay. No, I think it's okay. Seeing as that was more than what we asked for. Okay, so for growing businesses, startups perhaps, slightly larger, thinking about their own sustainability credentials, is certification important? You touched on this. Is certification important? What kind of certification exists? What do businesses require in terms of legal certification? At the moment, there are no official legal certifications. Most of this is voluntary. There are the science-based target initiatives that are, at the moment, probably one of the best for certainly medium to larger enterprises. The challenge we have at the moment is it's so evolving. And, you know, Elon Musk came out recently and just went, what's the point in measuring ESG? There's no alignment. We don't really have that at the moment. So it is evolving. There's things like B Corp and there's the SME Climate Hub. Being a part of it is better than not being a part of anything, is what I'd say. So if you're on the right side of things, that's fantastic. I'm not going to advocate necessarily a certificate because I think that can sometimes be seen as a bit of a tick box. But you can look at the science-based targets. I think they're a great initiative. And there is over 2,000 organisations part of that and signed up to that now. But the key thing with this really is around the transparency side of how you're reporting on how you are doing. If you haven't started, go to your scopes one to three. If you've got somebody internally who's focused on that, ask them, what are the results of those reports? What's next our strategy? How do we make sure that across commercial marketing, innovation, supply chain, finance, that we all have KPIs that marry up to those targets and goals? Fantastic. Thank you very much. Right. Final question then, uh, because we all like a bit of a disaster story, what is the single worst Piece of advice that you have ever received, please, Rona. Okay. Can I, may I cheat and slightly do one from a corporate point of view and one from an entrepreneurial point of view? Because the reason why I wanted to do this is because being an employee in a corporate world from a young person growing up to then going out on your own, I think is very different. So I'll start with the corporate one. The one biggest thing that I heard a lot of, not just for myself, but with really talented people was you often got, you're not ready to move up yet. I think maybe sideways, or I think you're really good where you are and you know how to deal with certain characters. So I think you need to stay where you are. 
And I remember hearing that when I was younger and thinking, oh, oh, I'm, I'm doing a really great job. And actually, it took me a while to realise and it took other others within my tribe to go, nah, they're just holding you back. They're just comfortable with where you are and they either haven't got somewhere for you to go or it's time for you to move on. So I think don't be held back by others when you know, you know in your gut that you're right to move on. So always, always challenge that. And then from an entrepreneurial point of view, I'm also an investor. So I've done some small investing and I've heard people saying things like, don't focus on the people, just go after the money. And I literally, I'm not going to swear on this fabulous podcast or threaten violence, but you know, you just like hook up the nose. So the worst piece of advice was focus on the money, don't focus on the people. What are the outcomes if you, as a business, do focus on the money and ignore the people? The people will leave you. (laughs) It's as simple as that. And I think Richard Branson always said, if you look after your people, they will look after your customers. Thank you so much to Rona for all her insights and advice. If you found those insights useful and you'd like access to more, covering all aspects of running your business, head to ismianco.com. And why not subscribe to the podcast and join us on the next episode where we'll be talking legal advice, both good and very bad, for businesses with Alistair Stewart of Loney Stewart Holland. Thanks for listening.